firms like Satera and certainly Genstar at that level, at the private equity level, we see a lot of value there because we are already a well-oiled engine inside Satera. So we know that when we bring on this number of advisors and these number of assets, that we're going to be able to help them run better, faster, stronger. That's Lori Hardwick talking about Satera's announcement that they're acquiring the independent financial planning channel of insurer Voya Financial and their 900 advisors. I spoke to Lori about what went on behind the scenes at Genstar Capital as they were evaluating Voya's business, the reasons they thought it would be a good fit with Satera, her thoughts on trends in the broker-dealer space, and a whole lot more on this episode of the Wealth Tech Today podcast. Welcome to the Wealth Tech Today podcast. I'm your host, Craig Eskowitz. I'm the founder and CEO of Ezra Group. We're a consulting firm that helps wealth managers, asset managers, and wealth tech vendors make better business and technology decisions. This podcast features interviews, news, analysis on the trends and best practices in wealth management technology. And be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss future episodes. I'm happy to introduce my guest for this episode is Lori Hardwick, CEO of WealthTech for Red Rock Strategic Partners. Lori, hey, welcome to the program. Thank you, Craig. Excited to be here today. I'm excited to have such a, an industry expert, uh, the co- one of the co-founders of InvestNet, someone who's got so much experience and is so much in demand in the industry on the program. So glad you're here. Aww. Thanks so much. I'm excited to be here. I know we've got a lot to talk about. Lots yes, of, oh has changed since the last t- last two years <laughs> since we talked last. <laughs> I, I have been introducing people and saying, boy, it's so, so boring out there. And what, what's going on with you? I don't have anything to talk about. <laughs> like, like it's a tongue in cheek, but because there's, there's never a, a shortage of things to talk about. And, you know, I know. We, um, we scheduled this weeks ago and it just is a perfect timing. Like, boom, <laughs> we get to talk about. Satara buying Voya, big news in the space. I know we are so excited about this. It's just, it's a fantastic marriage. I am very excited about this. And for those who don't know, I'm on the Satara board. I was um, joined the board last February, I believe, right before the world came crashing down. Mm-hmm. And um, we have had, you know, a number of things that have gone on within that organization all very positive and under the direction of Adam Antoniaitis, he's um, just, the whole team has done an amazing job, but this Voya acquisition, uh, we really wanted this one. And I just can't tell you how excited we are to have, have been the winner. And uh, the deal is uh, for 900 independent financial professionals with $40 billion in assets going to Satera, which That's they're right. paying, According to the news reports, roughly $300 million, which is an, a number that keeps getting thrown around. Um, another, an, an earlier deal, I think the Waddell and Reed deal was also $300 million, just a coincidence. But can you talk, um, can you give us a little bit of an overview of what boards you're on? Because you've, you've, uh, you've pivoted your career a bit 
Um, maybe we can talk about that. So just talk, you know, we all, we all know about InvestNet. Everyone knows that. So yeah, <laughs> from, from InvestNet until now, just like the quick overview. What happened? Um, well, we, so I left InvestNet in 2016, um, was wooed away by Pershing to be COO at the parent company level there. Um, great opportunity and really just a, an extension of learning um, that never stopped from day one that I joined that firm. Um, then went to start my own company uh, called AI Labs or Advisor Innovation Labs. It was, um, I, I started that with Mike Zabrowski who had been COO of eMoney for many, many years. And um, so we were building a FinTech firm really designed for enterprises to, to bring in all of the best of breed technology in one spot. Um, we sold that company, um, interestingly, on March 6th, 2020. So <laughs> we, we really timed that one up well. And um, to so after that, right? sold it to yes, back to Yes, to InvestNet. And, uh, and that's where Mike continues to work. Mm -hmm. At that point, I had, you know, while I was at AI Labs, I had been doing some work for um, private equity companies when they were looking at new deals. And so, um, for example, I helped uh, light your capital with uh, Serity, which at the time was HPMP uh, there in Chicago, which is now a $28 billion. Um, they've been on a tear. Um, at RIA. And um, then I was also helping Lightyear with even just like, um, you know, new deals that they were sometimes won and sometimes didn't win. Um, I was working as an advisor to um, Advent International and um, other private equity companies along the way. Um, Advent is a gigantic uh yeah, they are. They have a great team. I was really impressed. I, you know, I have to say going into working with private equity folks, I was feeling very vulnerable and not so <laughs> sure I would be the perfect match for them. Um, but I love it. I absolutely love working on those private equity deals, um, helping those, whoever I'm working with at the time, helping those partners really find the value. And they really appreciate kind of the fact I've been in an operating role and understanding where, you know, kind of the nuggets of value can be found and or where the potential problems are. Um, so um, after I, you know, kind of after we sold AI Labs, I decided I really wanted to work just with one private equity company. I didn't want to keep getting calls, you know, just willy-nilly. And at that point, um, I had just recently um, engaged with GenStar uh, looking at the Brinker deal and GenStar Capital, you know, gave me a great offer to join them as a strategic advisor. And so I interviewed a couple other companies, but I chose GenStar because their talent is amazing. They're based out of of San Francisco, it's a younger team. And there's, I just meshed with their style. Their style is very much in line with how I like to work. And um, just being really open and upfront and transparent about whatever it is. And we have had a great run. Uh, we put together, uh, as I think probably everyone knows at this point, but Orion and Brinker, I was part of that deal team. And then now I'm on the Orion board as well. So, um, 
uh, I continue to be on Riskalyze's board and I'm their chairman. And then I'm also on Vestwell's board, um, which is a retirement platform run by Aaron Schum, a, a turnkey asset management platform. They've been doing phenomenally well as well. So awesome. I'm really excited. A couple of weeks ago, Aaron's great. Oh, you did. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. That's right. He's amazing. How can you forget about Aaron? Aaron's amazing. Yeah, and uh, so you've got you got a bunch of board uh, involvement. You got the PE involvement. So so let's wind it back. Let's talk about Satera and Voya. So how did it come about? What made you guys target Voya for this acquisition? Well. You know, Voya came to the market. I mean, they had investment bankers. It wasn't that we were out of the blue targeting them. Um, but we did decide as soon as we saw the deck that this was a great, um, you know, marriage for us to try to pursue. Uh, I think that Voya, you know, of course, uh, Satera has a long history of working with financial institutions. Uh, and so from that perspective, it was a great fit. Uh, Tom Halloran is present, president there, and he had connections with myself as well as Adam and many others on the board. Um, and, you know, of course, during the course of this, we all talked to Tom. Um, I will say the team at Sotera did an amazing job of, you know, this all got spun up around Christmas time. They were working through nonstop through the holidays, um, really precious time that would have been spent with their family. So I, I just give the team at both Satera and Voya um, kudos for really putting this um, opportunity, you know, kind of out, you know, prioritizing it, I guess is what I'm saying. And, you know, even the night of the deal, it went till 4.30 in the morning for um, before it was signed. So it was, it was, it was a, um, I think a critical deal for us. We were very excited to get it for a number of reasons, mostly because the cultural fit is perfect for us. We love the people. They seem to really like, at, like the group at Satera. And I think that as we build on this, um, you know, there's a lot of new things that we'll be able to bring to those Voya advisors. Um, you know, we have coaches, we have practice management, we've got embedded marketing in the platform. There's a whole bunch of really cool new things to help those advisors um, continue to connect and, and better connect with their their clients. So I think it's we're headed for um, we came out of the gate fast in 2021. And I think we're going to continue that ramping up, I believe. So was there anything else besides the cultural fit when you saw the deck that voice bankers were sending out? What was it that sort of jumped out at you guys that we need we need to grab these guys and, and really fight for it. I'm sure there are other suitors that were in the bidding. Yeah, there, there's always other suitors, uh, especially mm. in this environment. It is really hard to get good firms like Voya. Um, it's it's a very competitive um, environment right now. Mm. But, you know, uh, they had had a lot of stability within their um, platform and their programs. A lot of the same home office folks had been there, um, you know, running the the in, in operations folks as well as the advisors they didn't have a lot of attrition that was coming out of that firm so um when we look at anything we're looking for you know a stable 
um, environment for which we can then fortify with new tools and solutions and services to help them grow. Um, but we don't like to see instability. And that really played well for Voya. How do you see this as part of a trend of insurance companies, which 20 years ago seemed to be swarming into the IBD space as you know, do cross-selling products and now are sort of backing out like MetLife sold their business and you know, here's I, you know, ING sold theirs and then you know, here's uh, Voya selling theirs. What, yeah. what, what is that trend and why do you, what do you think is driving that? I think, you know, it's a great question, Craig. I think that a lot of firms, you know, realize that they have assets as part of their, you know, uh, total package within, you know, these insurance companies and banking companies. And, and you know, um, you could add to that list, BMO Harris sold their, um, you know, broker dealer as well. So I think that as they look at the multiples they can get for some of these divisions within their larger entity, it's hard to say no. It's it's easy to kind of say, what could we get for that asset? And where, where are we today? Um, I also think that the changing risk met metrics on these businesses definitely play into that discussion as to whether or not, you know, with the new, um, uh, you know, change in p political sides here. I know that there's a lot of um, expectation that there'll be more potentially um, rigid rules, regulations that are put in place against our industry. And I think some of them are like, hey, if we can get that money for it and we don't have to take on more risk or worry about, you know, getting penalized for X, Y, Z, who knows what it'll be, um, we'll, we'll dump the assets. So, you know, people, firms like Cetera and certainly Genstar at that level, at the private equity level, we see a lot of value there because we are already a well-oiled engine um, inside Cetera. So we know that when we bring on this number of advisors and these number of assets that we're going to be able to help them run better, faster, stronger and more efficiently, which is the most important part. <laughs> All those things are important. Yeah, yeah. I mean, building them into the scale of the bigger engine is, you know, we have we have that on our side right now at Cetera. We're, we're a big engine and it's well-oiled. We're ready to and roll. Scale, scale is really becoming the name of the game. If you look at the, all the competitors, at the, you know, the top broker dealers are getting bigger and bigger, whether it's LPL at 17,000 advisors. Advisor group, I think, is, is over 10,000 advisors. Mm -hmm. And now... Uh, Satara mm -hmm. is approaching 10,000. You're at 9,000 mm -hmm. now. And that mm -hmm. there's some who said that's the, that's the key threshold for going for uh, going public. Uh, do you see that as, is that, you know, is that something you think Satara's goal, one of their goals is to go public? You know, that's not on our radar right now. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't rule anything out. Uh, but that is not on our radar right now. Our radar is pretty clear as to what our directives are and how to continue to grow the business um, under GenStar's umbrella. Hmm. There's been a, a raft, raft. There's been a lot of, of PE firms moving in and, 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 and acquiring broker dealers or acquiring parts of broker dealers. What is it about the broker dealer business model that, that PE firms see so attractive? Well, you know, 
I think that you would see two sides of the coin here. In the private equity world, there's some that actually do not believe in the private in the broker dealer um, world and the ability to continue to grow a BD um, because there's a lot of metrics out there showing that uh, RIAs are kind of the wave of the future and that that's the way mm -hmm. the puck is moving. So I think that when um, Whenever someone's looking at a broker dealer, obviously they're looking at scale. They're looking at the stability of that firm, of course, but they're also looking for how to either stop the attrition out into RIA world or into other firms, or they're looking for ways to grab market share outside of where they currently are. So you don't buy a, a firm just to kind of keep it as is. It's always, it's always to grow. And yes. to fortify with that with something else. So um, I think that a lot of the firms see broker-dealers as, you know, these firms that haven't had a lot of resources in the past, or maybe they haven't been able to put a lot more money into the infrastructure of the firm to make them run cleaner and faster. Um, I know that, you know, the way that technology has has changed everything, like, um, Jiffy AI, for example, uh, run by Babu Sivadasan, who is a longtime friend, and we worked together at Vestnap for 15 years. Um, he just started a firm called Jiffy AI. And those, there's a bunch, there's like two or three new firms like that that are doing business process automation at the home office level. And that is where I think these private equity firms, as they think about getting into these large institution BD businesses say, how do we streamline it and make it faster and be able to um, continue to obviously thrill and delight the advisors and their clients, but also run faster on the back end and more efficiently. And so scale just can't be scale anymore. It has to actually reduce your cost to serve eventually. Um, so you can't be touching every piece of data like you, we used to be able to. Um, but now that these new, you know, these new technologies have come out and it's allowed you to build in a lot more efficiencies and be able to do work, not just faster, but at way less expense than it used to cost. Hey, I want to take a break from this episode to talk about one of my favorite charities, the Invest in Others Charitable Foundation. Invest in Others is a nonprofit that supports and empowers financial advisors who give back to their communities with overwhelming generosity. Now in its 15th year, Invest in Others has raised and distributed millions of dollars to worthy charities that are run by or assisted by financial advisors both in the U.S. and abroad. The Invest in Others Foundation is kicking off 2021 with a restock of the shelves campaign. This past year, demand for food from nonprofits was at an all-time high. Last year, more than 50 million people experienced food insecurity. Now that the holiday season has ended, supplies at many food banks and shelters have dropped, but demand has not. To help restock the shelves, Invest in Others will award grants of up to $20,000 to nonprofits who are fighting hunger in their communities. If you work in the financial services industry and also volunteer for a 501c3 nonprofit that's in need of food items, apply for a grant from the Invest in Others Foundation on its behalf. They wanna help you restock the shelves in your community this January. Applications will be accepted now through Friday, February 5th at investinothers.org forward slash grants. So if you want to put your uh, 501c3 nonprofit's name in for a grant of up to $20,000, 
please go to investinothers.org forward slash grants. Indeed, yeah, it's, it's everything is getting cheaper, whether it's building, building yeah. software, deploying services in the cloud. Uh, a, a lot of the infrastructure is now becoming much more mobile. Uh, right. Of course, everything's digitizing. So it's easier to spin up more uh, technology where in the past you'd had to do these very long deployments, touch every every desktop, go to every right. office to deploy software into a sit into with, with, with a disk or a CD. And now it's all online uh, and managed centrally. So it, it does yeah. lend itself. It, it, it gives you uh, both ways. You, you're, you see the smaller firms are, are, are starting up faster because it's easier to start an RIA okay. since you don't need to have all this on-premise equipment. But it's also easy to, when you're scaling a larger business that you can you can build out your infrastructure faster, uh, cheaper, and, and manage this and, and, and take advantage of scale. So yeah, tools yeah. like AI are important. And I had Babu on the program last year. I think his, his product is, is right, is spot on in terms yeah. of what we need in space now. I totally agree. I'm, I am um, an advisor to them as well. And they are, I think, doing something that is necessary for um, not just broker dealers, but like you said, also RIAs. I mean, the end clients are demanding, you know, this hyper personalization in a much faster way than we ever have been able to deliver it before. So the fact that there are tools that are coming out that allow us to do that and to be able to respond to end clients in a way that they expect to be um, responded to and to have, you know, uh, different processes go through at you know really lightning speed it allows us to be i think much more nimble as an industry um which is why i, I love working with that firm when i when i see uh, any industry especially in financial services there's a there's a pendulum swing and there's always a a cycle of growth and then uh, uh disruption and mm -hmm. we saw this in you know in a while back before the last financial crisis or multiple crises ago where a lot of the, the firms that were household names got broken up or, or acquired. And now we're seeing, and again, the top 25 broker dealers now control over 70% of advisors mm -hmm. work at, at the top 25 broker dealers. So you're seeing a, a, the, the scale growing and the consolidation really growing, but that, while you think, well, that's becomes very powerful, that also creates opportunities for disruption that they're, they get so big that they can't move fast enough to, to handle new things, whether it's, uh, new technologies or new business models or new assets like cryptocurrencies and things. So where do you yeah. see disruption coming? You know, I see uh, this happens, uh, you know, this is the age old story of the wirehouses too, and why they've mm -hmm. been mired in legacy technology and not been able to move quite as fast as the independent BDs. And now we see it, like you said, as the B independent BDs get bigger and bigger, it kind of slows the the ability to pivot and take on new things. But I will say, I, you know, when you look at what firms used to want to hold proprietary and build on their own, that has changed a lot. Um, the, even the wirehouses and definitely um, at Satera and all of their um, top end competitors on the broker dealer market are starting to outsource the data normalization, outsourcing the data lake, um, figuring out ways to work in a much more nimble way and feed that data back and forth. So APIs obviously accelerated that notion a whole lot <laughs> when they became available. Um, what I do 
see is that the proprietary nature now seems to be more on um, how they render that data out to the end clients. Um, I think so many firms had, you know, they were using InvestNet or using, you know, they were all kind of using Morningstar or InvestNet, <laughs> one, one of two or three options. And that um, patience of having kind of the same web interface with the client and or advisor um, seems to be wearing thin. Those firms, I know at, at Satera, we have AdviceWorks, which is an amazing scalable front end for advisors to do the work and also for clients to see what they have with that advisor. And so there, you know, when I was at InvestNet, we frequently talked about, we want to be the hub because as long as we're the hub, people have to keep coming back to us and it makes for such a sticky client. And so, and it did. Um, but now I think the firms are like, you know, with APIs, we're going to module, modularize the, um, you know, the pieces and components that we want from each platform and build our own and um, build our own experience with the end client. And I, it, that's the part, and that's kind of the fun part too. I think developers like building that part more than they do the data lake and data normalization and all that piece. But um, it is, it's a, um, I think it's a pivot in the way that, you know, where these, these firms are spending their money rather than spending it on headcount, they're outsourcing it. Which is good for consultants. And if I can give a plug to my sure. company, we're, we just launched a, a new service with uh, Extiva Financial, which is, we, we mentioned data normalization, data lakes and data outsourcing, which we're, seeing more firms having trouble with their data architectures and infrastructures and they, they can't bring in new technology. I'm sure you saw this at InvestNet. You, they, they sign the contract, then you go to install them, then their data is a mess and their infrastructure is a mess. And they don't understand how their architecture works and they've got too many silos. So we're launching a data as an asset uh, assessment service to help firms get their data architecture, data infrastructure in order. So it, it links oh, it up with your, with, your, with your talk about outsourcing that and and how firms are, are seeing that as not a value added anymore. Yeah, I totally agree. I don't think that, you know, they feel like they need to own that piece. Um, and in yeah. fact, I think a lot of them don't want to own that piece. They know that it can be, um, you know, hard, <laughs> really hard mm -hmm. to do at times. So, uh, but I do, you touched on something, Craig, that I find um, fascinating um, as far as, you know, a lot of the older firms and with legacy are starting to buy new, um, you know, new shiny uh, firms that have a tool or a feature that is, um, you know, going to help them grow out of that legacy um, technology. And I mean, we just saw it this week with InvestCloud and Tegra 118 um, and certainly Fanatics as well. They are, um, you know, I think that watching that come together, I, I'm a big fan of bringing old technology and new technology together. And, you know, typically the old technology folks have a lot of the clients that the new technology folks want to get. <laughs> and so, and, and also it kind of stutter steps anyone who, any of the old technology clients that were thinking of leaving, frequently they will say, you know, I'm gonna hold out and just see how this goes because migrating off a platform is not easy. Um, I remember back in the InvestNet days in 2001, it was actually um, InvestNet's very first acquisition was PMC, Portfolio Management Consultants out of Denver. And they 
they had five and a half billion dollars of assets. We had 300 million of assets at the time. And, um, I, you know, I, that was probably the most pivotal move that Judd Bergman made and that team. They, you know, we, I was worried because I'm like, this is going to change everything. We're not going to be a startup anymore. And yet it gave us kind of the credibility we needed um, to work with bigger firms because we now had assets under management and we were able to really, you know, bring up PMC and allow them the access to our new cool technology so they didn't lose those clients. So I have a soft spot in my heart every time I see you know, kind of old technology meets new. And I do think there's a lot of value to that if you can execute against it right. You mentioned that migrating tech, tech platforms isn't easy. And it's something we work with a lot of firms on. And one of the things I like to say is uh, uh, inertia is a legacy tech's friend. <laughs> yes, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Because that, that keeps a lot of companies on their platform, even if they hate it, because it's just so difficult and so expensive to convert. Yeah, I think also the some people lose the sight of spending a whole lot, you know, this year could save us a whole lot more in years to come uh, by making that change and migrating to the, you know, the newer technology option. Um, they just can't figure out a way to get out ahead of it and spend the money that they need to in order to really make the change for the greater good as for many, many more years. Um, so I do think that stands in the way, but for sure, just inertia. And, you know, when I went in, I, when I went into lots of different times to sell to enterprises, um, a lot of times the leadership wanted to do it. They saw the benefit and they were, excited about, you know, bringing on new technology, but it's typically the people behind the scenes, the operations and the developers and that who are like, uh-uh, do not get in my way. I do not want this new thing for whatever reason. It's mostly protecting, I think, their own jobs. They are worried it would displace them. Um, but, you know, in my experience, most of the leadership and certainly those who are disciplined leadership push through that. Um, but it, it it typically is the people behind the scenes that are saying this won't work because of X, Y, Z. <laughs> well, no one, no one likes to change, right? Most humans don't like change. And then what's the, the, the rule, of, rule of thumb, the rule of thirds for change, where when you, when you announce a change, a third of the people will be on board. A mm -hmm. third of the people will hate it. And then you have a third in the middle. that are like, eh, you know, whatever. So your goal is we'll to get that it. other third that's in the middle onto your side. Cause the yeah. other third is going to, always going to hate it because it, it disrupts their their routine or maybe yeah. they they were involved in the purchase or development of the system that's being replaced so they see it as a threat and they see that they won't yeah. have a job so yeah or, or, or they don't want to change because it because change is hard and it's hard to, to, to pivot your career uh or if you have to or even just change what you're doing so yeah that's yeah. A, those are big issues yeah i saw that back to something you mentioned um you were you were helping uh with the uh, uh, evaluation of the Motive uh, Tegra 118 deal. Yeah, and, uh, I was, and I was part of that deal. Planted by another deal. So what do you think of the Tegra InvestCloud deal? Um, well, I touched on this a little earlier, just the new technology and the old technology coming together. I think Tegra 
you know, is going, it sounds like they're kind of going core back to their roots of the security APL and being the supermarket. I actually think that's a great idea for, for Tegra 118. And I'm very good friends with Cheryl Nash. Um, in fact, we're meeting for digital uh, happy hour tonight. Digital happy um, hour. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, but she is, um, you know, she's super talented. She has a talented team. I have no doubt they'll do well. I do think that marrying up with InvestCloud, who's done really well, um, you know, lately, especially on the front end tools and kind of uh, working through, you know, they've got data um, reporting, everything kind of built in there. I think that that is, you know, it depends how long it will take to get Tegra uh, data and uh, features and functionality kind of migrated into a invest cloud option. But as soon as they do, I have no doubt they'll be massively successful. Um, I really do think that's what Tegra needed to kind of push them forward and accelerate that business. So if you look at the, the, the gaps, they seem to line up pretty well, especially in the strengths of invest cloud in the client portal and digital wealth. Yeah. Basis. Right. Yeah, we're we're having a similar view of, you know, kind of old meets new in the Brinkera Ryan um, marriage that came together earlier um, this year. And, you know, bringing in that TAMP space, you know, Brinker is 32 years old, Orion is less than 10 years old. So, you know, having those two companies, and of course I have a bird's eye view there uh, being on their board, um, but that is another really exciting kind of old meets new technology um, inertia that we're seeing come together. I, I'm really excited to see that one come together. Lots of opportunities. Other great leaders getting together with Eric Clark and Noreen Beeman, right? Yep, that's right. Those two are awesome. I, it's, it's, um, of all my boards, that's the one that I feel, you know, kind of like it's home cooking for me because it's it's a lot of platform business and, um, you know, I feel very at home and they're, you know, selling to the same clients that I sold to back at InvestNet forever ago. So it's, um, it's nice because it's a lot of meeting up with old friends in the industry, that's for sure. Well, Lori, we, we've run out of time. I, I knew we would do this and we have, uh, because we never stop talking and so much to talk about. So I really want to thank you for taking the time and it's so good that you got uh, this perfect time that we got to talk about these things. And uh, where can people find uh, more about, if they want to get you on their board, how do they reach out to you? Uh, you know, the easiest way is probably to email me. It's um, Lori.hardwet.com hardwick at redrocksp for strategicpartners.com. Um, but um, I will say I will probably take on one more board assignment and then I'm my dance card's full for a little while. Okay, everyone, <laughs> everyone out there, all firms, you've heard it. There's one <laughs> slot left on Lori's dance card. If you want it, you better make a good offer to her. The bidding starts now. <laughs> building that demand. Come on. That's right. You gotta get hey, you're, you're, you're learning more. You're, you're a, a fantastic marketer, self-promotion, branding, <laughs> right? It's all about that. Cool. Well, Lord, thanks so much for being here. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I always love talking to you. And um, certainly I know you've got an awesome list of uh, viewers and listeners and always a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Hey, it's Craig again. 
Well, that was a good interview. I really like that one. Uh, I love talking to Lori. Now we could have gone on for another hour or two, but had to cut it uh, short to, to fit in the time here. So I, I always like hearing the behind the scenes, what's going on uh, in these deals, what's happening, why they liked it, you know, and why the photo was a good fit. Lori gave some great answers, good insight into um, what she was doing at GenStar. Also interesting to hear her decision-making process about why she chose GenStar over all the other PE firms that are out there, especially Lightyear and Advent, who are all really, those are awesome uh, PE firms. You know, don't, um, don't sell them short just because Lori didn't pick them. They are really very interesting. I've, I've worked with Advent a little bit. Uh, very smart people. Uh, really, really interesting uh, firms to work with. And uh, hearing her, her take on the uh, insurance company trends, why they're leaving the space, some of the, her, tr- her talk about uh, different enterprise tools, you know, Jiffy.ai and Babu have had him on the program. You should go back and listen to that episode if you want to hear more about uh, how they're, they're working business process automation. Interesting stuff. And consolidation begets disruption. How, you know, the, the, with so many percentage of brokers working at the top 25 broker dealers, that's really uh, creating opportunities for disruption, at least in my opinion, although there may be some pain for the smaller broker dealers at first. And then I'm glad I, f- I fit in some comments from, uh, from Lori on the motive Tegra 118 and the Tegra 118 Invest Cloud deal. Always interesting stuff going on. Always interesting. So thanks for listening to this episode of Wealth Tech Today podcast. You can find our newsletter and blog at uh, EzraGroupLLC.com. And also we're on LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube. I'll talk to everyone again next time.